0: Well, good morning, everybody. We have a special welcome to everyone joining us online, and uh, we've been in this series in the month of June, so we're kind of starting off the summer talking about these circumstantial realities in our life that we would put in the category of overwhelmingly large insurmountable. I can't see how I'm going to get through whatever it is I'm going through. And we've put a phrase on those kinds of circumstances. We've called them our 500 pound lions. So we've been talking about, we started looking at that through Benaiah, 2 Samuel 23, where it was Benaiah who jumped down in a pit on a snowy day and took out a 500-pound lion. So he moved toward his insurmountable obstacle with great courage, and he did something most people think wisdom would say, don't jump down in that pit, don't take on that lion. And so we talked about how this this was an event in Benaiah's life that landed him as captain of David's bodyguard he became like the head of the secret service for King David and so we talked about the principle from 2nd Samuel 23 was this that often our deepest pain and our biggest problems are like an arrow pointing to God's larger purposes Because if Benaiah hadn't stepped toward that 500 pound lion, he most likely wouldn't have ended up captain of David's bodyguard. And then from that, we looked at Hezekiah in Isaiah 36 and 37. And Hezekiah was king of the Southern kingdom of Judah. And he was doing God's will, God's way for God's glory. He was right where God wanted him to be. And he had stepped toward his 500 pound lions. He was stepping toward God's purposes, following that arrow saying, God, I'm following you. I'm doing what you've asked me to do. And here's what Hezekiah found. He found that those 500-pound lions kind of multiplied, became a a pride of lions, a large pack of lions, to the tune of 185,000 Assyrians who weren't in a welcoming position towards the Israelites. So Hezekiah found that the more he stepped towards God's purposes, that God often reframed his current realities. He didn't immediately change them. We talked about how Hezekiah taught us about how do we reframe some of our 500 pound lines. Remember, he went to the temple of God, he called a friend of God, fell on his face before God, and how that began to reframe his current realities. So today, we want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. So open your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Here's what we're going to see today from this story. We're going to see this, that sometimes God chooses to deal with our 500-pound lions swiftly. Sometimes he does that. Benaiah, a pit, snowy day, lion alive, lion dead by the end of the day. Swiftly. Hezekiah. Goes to bed one night, 185,000 Assyrians are coming to take him and the small remnant of God's people out. At the end of Isaiah 37, it says, Hezekiah got up the next morning and 185,000 Assyrian troops were dead, put to death by an angel of the Lord. Swift. Sometimes God chooses to deal with our 500-pound lions swiftly, but sometimes he chooses to deal with them gradually, slowly. Slowly little by little. So Deuteronomy 7, here's the context for this part of the story. This is where the Israelites had been in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. So the story really begins back in Exodus. So if you wanna write outside the margin there in your Bible, you could write like, start reading the storyline like Exodus 10 through 12 talks about how God decided it's time after 400 years. He'd heard their groans in slavery. He heard their cries for help. God's gonna step in and get them out of slavery of Egypt because Egypt was not their destiny. Egypt was not the promised land. Israel was their promised geographical land, but they were there for 400 years. So this was a problem and so God steps in and notice now he very swiftly and promptly does some things to pry open the king of Egypt Pharaoh Pharaoh had a stranglehold on the Egypt on the Israelites so through ten plagues plague of the blood plague of the flies plague of the frog you can read all these plagues in Exodus 10 11 12 he's prying open Pharaoh's hand with some swift and bold acts And at the end, God's people are released and they head off. They head out of Egypt north towards the promised land. And this is an amazing moment for the people of God. This is why the scriptures rehearse so many times in the Psalms you read. The people of God are saying, remember when God set you free from Egypt. Remember how he led you. Remember how he guided you. This is a significant defining moment in the history of God's people. And it was swift and it was decisive on the release. forget it was lengthy in that it was 400 years, 400 years of captivity. There was a lot of groaning, a lot of crying out. A lot of slow and a lot of gradual there. But when God decided to act, it was swift and it was decisive. So the people of God move out and they come up to the banks of the Red Sea. And how about this moment for the people of God, right? How about that swift, decide? how about that 500 pound lion they were staring at? A body of water, uncrossable, an angry Egyptian army behind them because Pharaoh decided, I'll let you go. No, I've changed my mind. That was his routine by the way, right? So he said, okay, you can go. No, I've changed my mind. Okay, you can go. No, I've changed my mind. So he sends the army after them, so there's this approaching Egyptian army on one side, uncrossable body of water on the other side, and the scriptures record in Exodus that God steps in and he parts the sea. And the people cross on dry land, and the waters sweep away the Egyptians. I mean, this is an unbelievable display of swift, decisive, instantaneous delivery. So you've got a swift exit from Egypt, a swift moment of as you're leaving, you're going to continue to progress. So the people of God had to be on fire right then. They were like, man, God is coming through. God is guiding. God is leaving pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. He is on our side. He is moving mountains. He's moving bodies of water. Nothing can stop us now. So this is where we pick up the story. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Here's where they're headed. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess. Now what land is that? That's the land of Israel. So when you look on your maps, Egypt's about 400 miles south. So Israel's to the north. That's the geographic place. That's their promised land. They're like, yes, the Lord is leading us there. They're saying amen. And drives out before you many nations. The Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Seven nations larger and stronger than you. So here's what the Israelites are facing. They're being extracted out of 400 years of slavery. They're exiting, they're crossing the Red Sea. They're seeing God come through in amazing ways. They're no doubt looking at a two to three month journey into the promised land and they're going, God's going before us. God's gonna make a way. And notice he, they're enemy occupied territory. So the Gergeshites, Jebusites, Hivai, all those ites in there, those again are not welcome wagons. That they're not welcoming the Israelites to come into that territory. So it's enemy occupied territory. Notice bigger and stronger than you. So that's a bunch of 500 pounds. There's another pride of 500 pound lions right there. So many of you come into today, you're facing some things. You're Deuteronomy 7 verse 1. You're like, Lord, I'm journeying out in life, and I'm staring at some things bigger and stronger than me. My own Jebusites, my own Hittites, my own Hivites, my own Girgashites. You name them. They're too big, they're too strong, they're too overwhelming. Look what God now steps in to remind them. Verse 17 chapter 7. You may say to yourselves, These nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid. Underline that in your Bibles. Do not be afraid of them. Remember well that the Lord your, your, remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You see what that is right there? So underline do not be afraid and underline remember well. I want you to see a connection here. There's a role between developing a healthy memory, rehearsing God's sacred history in our lives. Do you see this? There's a role between that and moving out courageously to our own 500-pound lions and facing them. We have to remember the ways God has come through before and apply that to the position we're in right now. So he's saying, hey guys, I know it's super intimidating what you're staring at in your promised land. I know you don't like the thought of facing the Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites, etc. But here's what I want you to remember. Remember when you were in Egypt. Remember the plagues. Remember Pharaoh letting you go. Remember Pharaoh coming after you. Remember the Red Sea part. You see what this does? This is why immersion in this God-breathed book is so important. Like we've got to have immersion here to remember the ways God has come through for his people, Genesis to Revelation. And then we add our own story. So you can put your own journals right here. So you've got God's journal and then you've got your own journals right here, right? Our own sacred history, our own moments when God came through and God heard our cries and God delivered and God parted some waters and God showed himself faithful. Do you see this saying, hey, don't forget. He's not denying you're staring at some 500 pound lions. He's asking us to work a muscle. When you're looking at the 500 pound lion, remember sacred history, rehearse the ways God has come through before. And that might fuel a little less fear and a little more courage because they're right now, they're starting to shake in their boots. Verse 19, you saw with your own eyes the great trials, the miraculous signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Woo! Now that's a that's a call to worship right there. Can you picture the worship service going on right there? Remember, right? When we gather together as a body sometime, maybe that's how we would have a call to worship sometime, right? I'd have someone with a long history around eager and say, remember all the ways God has come through. Remember the prayers he's answered. Remember the mountains he's moved. Remember the waters he's parted. And he is a great, and he is an awesome God, and he's going to come through for you right now. Now, the people of God go, hey Amen. Let's stand and worship together right now. Can you hear him saying? Amen. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Now hang hang with me right here. said so there's a lot of amens going on with this crowd. Now jump down verse 21. Do not be terrified by them. Amen. For the Lord your God who is among you is great and awesome. A more amen. God do so you see that? So do not be terrified, for the Lord your God, who is among you, is a great and an awesome God. The Lord, verse 22, the Lord your God, follow this now, will drive out those nations before you. Everybody's going, amen. Now, here's the next verse. Wait, this is the key phrase for the morning right here. You need to underline this. The Lord your God will drive out the nations before you little by little. Wait, What? You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once. Yeah, pin drop silence right there. All of a sudden that worship gathering got a little, a lot of staring at the feet, a lot looking down. Why did he say this? or the wild animals will multiply around you." And then he, and he goes on. So here, here's the principle for the morning. This is the little by little principle in your relationship with God. And if you haven't encountered it yet, just keep living and you'll come right into this principle in a walk with God. We live this principle every day in all kinds of areas of our lives, right? Let's say you've piled up massive debt in your life and you wanna get out from debt. You know how you get out from debt? Little by little. Week after week, paycheck after paycheck, month after month, you prioritize certain things. You have your income exceed your expenses and you put deposits down and it's little by little you find your way out of debt. You find yourself in the middle of an addiction. You're up against something, you're like, you just can't get out of it. You know how you get free from an addiction? Do you know that happens? Process, gradual, little by little, you reach out, you get help, you get a sponsor, you go to some classes, you get some good training. And by God's grace, little by little, that addiction starts loosening its grip. You find yourself in the middle of a marriage that's on the brink of divorce. And you say, you know what? I don't want to get, I want to save the marriage. You know how marriage goes from on the brink of a divorce to healthy and God-centered? That process is gradual. It's little by little. You reach out, you get help. You start having honest and, and deep conversations. You get help from a counselor. And little by little, God's grace, right, through transparency and forgiveness. And, and you start rebuilding trust and, and little by little. How do you grow in a relationship with God? Say, I want my spiritual life to go to a whole new level. You know how it starts? You start reading the Bible. You start hanging around God's people. You start making church a priority. You start worshiping. You start changing maybe the stuff you're listening to and the inputs in your life. You start saying yes to certain things. You start saying no to certain other things. And little by little, you find yourself living everyday life with Jesus. This is a little by little principle. You see, sometimes God says, you're looking at a 500 pound lion and I'm going to act right now in a swift and decisive way. You know, God has a power to do that in any time, any way he wants to. He can do that. Beniah, get down in a pit, lion's dead. Hezekiah, wake up one morning, 185,000 Assyrians dead. Decisive, swift, Red Sea parted. The Egyptians swept away, decisive. God can do that. I'm not downplaying that. Here's what I'm expanding us to, though. But I find that God often, there's another part of this journey. And this is where the Israelites, another part of this journey is there are times in which He says, I know you're staring at your Hittites, Jebusites, and Gergesites. I know you are. I know there's a pride of 500 pound lines. I know your circumstances are insurmountable and overwhelming. And I'm going to drive them out little by little. Sometimes the process is gradual. This isn't an isolated incident with God in the scriptures. I want you to think about some of the other characters who ran into this. How about Noah? How about Noah when he's given an assignment to build a really big boat, an exceedingly large boat? If you haven't made the trek yet over the Cincinnati area, you can see how exceedingly large that boat is. Or get on Google and pull it up and you can see the con. A really large boat, way before Black and Tech or Sears Sears Craftsman Power Tools, not handcrafted. It took Noah a hundred years to build the boat. Are you kidding me? Some of you thought your home improvement projects were way long. Your spouse has been pinging you for how long that unfinished project. So you just use Noah as your guide right there. Hey, honey, I ain't going like Noah's going. I got a good 80 years left on that one. Little by little, the ark got built. They didn't get built overnight. How about King David? King David was anointed king at age 17. Do you know that he occupied the throne little by little? He didn't get to the throne until he was 30. 13 years of the whole Saul to David and running for his life and that whole journey. Little by little. How about the Apostle Paul? So Paul, who has this dramatic, swift, Acts 9, Damascus Road conversion, which we looked at last year, unbelievable. You talk about decisive. Paul went from arresting Christians, putting them in jail and killing them, to now being the biggest advocate for people to follow Jesus, which he's the commentary, the ultimate commentary on what happened to that guy. That's the apostle Paul. So, God commissions him, he strikes him blind on the road to Damascus and he sends a servant to go and heal him and then he says, I want you to be now a voice, an advocate of my name to preach the name of Jesus to all the non-Jews in this area. So Paul goes out and leaves Jerusalem and goes to the surrounding areas. Do you know the journey for Paul actually becoming that unbelievable missionary to those other parts of the world was three years? It was a three-year journey from the time of commissioning to the time he actually began to preach. What was he doing? He went off to Arabia in the desert, learning, studying, praying. Probably God dealing with some stuff in the heart, had to melt some stuff away and get him three-year journey. How about Jesus? Here's the ultimate example. How about Jesus and the little by little principle? How about God's plan for how He's going to intervene with the mess and sin of humanity? The Messiah comes as an infant. What you talking about? Wait, what? A baby. I mean, he could have came, right, as a 22-year-old, strong young man, ready to kick the Romans out and put the Christians back in power and get the Jews back where they need to be. He came as an infant. Can you imagine the process? Do you see the picture of the slowness, the gradual, the way of God in Jesus becoming a teenager? How about his mom and dad who say, well, surely when he turns 21, he's go time. No, how about he's 25, not go time. It's 30 years old. It's not till he's 33 that he ultimately fulfills the mission that the father had sent him to this earth for. Little by little. You see, sometimes God leads us into a space where he deals with our 500-pound lions swiftly, instantaneously, decisively, but sometimes he chooses to drive them out, gradual, little by little, which the question for the day is, why? why, Lord, why would you do it this way? Why not just part the Red Sea every time? Why not just send pillar of fire down every time? Why not just send that angel to wipe out the Assyrians every time? You know, the, the same angel who wiped out the Assyrians could handle the Girgashites, Hittites, and Hittites. I mean, there was no problem there. God, why don't you just send that same angel? Can you hear him praying on some of those things? Hey, the angel that did that over there, why don't you have him do that over there? God, why does that have to be so long, so hard, so slow? Why little by little? Glad you asked. Chapter 8. This is the context now. Chapter 8, Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. I want you, this is a, Deuteronomy 8 is written 40 years. You've got to fast forward 40 years now. So 40 years ahead. So that tells you something right there. So they thought they were probably on a three-month journey. And now we're 40. So the three-month journey from Egypt to the promised land turned into a 40-year five-desert wandering. So there's your first commentary, and remember, we studied that, how the pillar of fire was the one that led them down into the five deserts. Remember how the pillar turned south and the promised land was north, and there were people like, what's up with that? And then it just kept spinning around and circling around. Remember blue line, orange line, for those of you around through that journey? This is that long, wandering blue line, 40-year journey. So this is at the end of the blue line, looking back over the 40 years. And here's what it says to give context to why so long and slow. Verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So there's your first window, right? There's, you see the phrases in there to humble, to test, to know. That's the language of the little by little principle. There's some things that are going to happen in the gradual and slow process that wouldn't happen in swift and decisive. And God amplifies it here. Jump down now to verse 12 and following. He's saying, he's cautioning now. He's say, hey, this is why it's not going to be swift. Otherwise... When you, here you go, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, so he's saying, hey, when you get to that promised land and everything's going great, verse 13, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now hear this, hear this. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this right here. Do you see how God's saying, hey, I have the capacity for swiftness. God can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. God has the capacity for swiftness, but hear this. He has the wisdom for slowness, little by little. Do you see this? I want you to think with me for a moment about all the prayers God didn't answer for us and how years removed from that, you go, oh, hallelujah, Lord. I'm so glad you didn't answer that prayer. Anybody been there? Well, you're just convinced at one moment, God, you move this mountain, part this sea, lead me through this, come through in this way. And God, God, he decides, you know what? We're not gonna drive that out right now. And you step out, and you look back a year or two or three from that, and you go, whew, I'm so glad God didn't move that map. That would have been a disaster. Anybody been there? And he says to his people, he's like, hey, if I just swiftly and decisively take you from Egypt to the promised land, drive out all the ites, let you build houses, multiply your flocks, multiply your families. Do you see what gets bedded in the heart there? Selfishness, entitlement, pride. You see that? He's like, you, your heart's going to get overwhelmed with this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drive those ites out. Hear this now. God says, I will get you there. The ites will be dealt with. It's just going to be slow and gradual and little by little because God isn't just concerned with dealing with our 500-pound lions. He's concerned with who we're becoming while they're being dealt with. That's a big deal with God, Always. He's like, hey, Israelites, I'll deal with your I'll deal with all the Gergeshites and Jebusites. I will deal with them. But while I'm dealing with them, I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to build some things in your heart. I'm going to do some stuff in here. That a parting of the Red Sea, if he just kept parting Red Sea and parting Red Sea, here's what he says, that won't develop what needs to be developed in here. So when you occupy the land, you represent what I want represented to the surrounding nations. It was about who they were becoming to occupy the promised land, not just about occupying the promised land. Same principle for you and I. God has the capacity for swiftness in all of our 500 pound lion scenarios. He can turn that situation around right now, but he also has the wisdom for little by little to say, hey, there's some things I wanna work in your heart while we work this out. Things like what? Do you know perseverance? I want you to think about the character quality of perseverance. How does perseverance really get built in our lives? It doesn't get built through Red Sea moments. It doesn't get built through instantaneous, swift and decisive. That's not how this works. Any parent knows this if you're raising up your children. The only way perseverance gets developed at the core of our character is when you walk up to something and you are convinced you might not make it. You're at the end of your rope and right there in that space, you, you set by God's grace and the help of his spirit, you press through and you press on with courage and you see God bring you through. And you know what gets developed out of all that? Perseverance, an endurance, a not quitting, a keep going. You don't just get zapped with that. So God wants us as his people to be a people of great perseverance, of never quitting and not giving up, of staying faithful and devoted. That's a big deal with God in developing us. So you know what he does? He drives out the 500 pound lions little by little. So we become people of perseverance. How about faith? What's the Bible say about faith? How much value does God put on faith, being a person of great faith? trust and confidence in him. The Bible says, without faith is it impossible to please God. That tells me that was a big deal with him. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without uncertainty, it's impossible to grow faith. So here's the deal. We're asking God to swiftly deal with that 500-pound lion. He's like, but I want to develop some faith in you, Simpson. I want the roots of faith to go down deep. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drive that out just a little, an inch by inch deal. And now it's going to be super frustrating to you. I know you're going to be real impatient. I know you're going to wrestle around and moan and complain, all those things. But here's what I'm going to do. Little by little, I'm going to deal with that. And if you'll stay with me in that space, you'll be a man of greater faith when that lion is developed, taken care of. You see that? How about humility? How do we become a man or woman with humility? And you're not zapped with that. You don't just wake up one day and you say, oh, I've just become a, a person of great humility. It doesn't work that way. You wake up one day, you don't have to work at becoming pride-filled, self-centered, and entitled. You don't have to work at that. That's the Genesis 3 current and the You just wake up and breathe that air. How do you become a person who has appropriately sized in the big scheme of life? How does that happen? You know what happens? Five hundred pound lions being out, driven out little by little. Because when you come up against some things, like with the Israelites here, and you're staring at the Jebusites and the Girgashites, and you're like, Lord, they're bigger, they're stronger than me. Some of you are staring down the, the horizon of your life, and there's stuff bigger and strong. You got no idea how you're going to make it through all that stuff. Do you know what? If you'll stay with the Lord in that space, and you let him drive those out little by little, you know what happens in all of that? Like, self gets appropriately dependent on God. It drives you to your knees. You get to the end of yourself. You're... You Say, God, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not whatever enough to deal with this. That's the point. And then God comes through and God answers prayer, and the eyes are driven out. It takes a lot longer than you wanted it to take. It's a lot more of a process, it's a lot more gradual, but at the end of it, there's things like humility. Do you see this? These are the things that really matter to God. That's why when we're praying, and it's okay to pray, it's okay to pray bold prayers and ask for swift action, but here's what we need to be able to, we need to be able to embrace when God chooses to step in with the wisdom of slowness and the principle of little by little. To embrace it and not rebel against it. To not push back, but just to settle into it and say, Lord, obviously you're up to something quite a bit bigger because you're choosing not to part that Red Sea right now. It's not that he's not hearing. Some of you have been wrestling with, you think God's maybe like giving up on you with something or he's not hearing your prayers. You're not praying just right. You're like, oh, I'm not spending enough time in the prayer room or I'm not doing whatever. And that doesn't anything to do with that. It has to do with this, that God has the absolute capacity to deal with that situation very swiftly, but he has the wisdom to deal with it slowly. And he's always going to prioritize who you and I are becoming while we're dealing with whatever 500-pound lion or lions that are larger and stronger than we. So in my own life, uh, over this past year, I, I, I got involved a little bit in a personality assessment tool that's been super helpful for me in working with others called the Enneagram. Any of you familiar with the Enneagram? I know some of you in the room are. The Enneagram, here's a great book for you, The Road Back to You. Get a copy of The Road Back to You, read through it, if you're married, have your spouse read through it. It might be the most helpful thing for married life that you've had in quite a while. And it was super helpful for Kendra and I. It was one of those books I read. I said, where were you 20 years ago? Like that book kind of thing. So the Enneagram is like, It's not that I haven't encountered, you know, disc assessments and all those other personality stuff before, but I've always found them to be just a little short from some of the spiritual development, spiritual formation element. The Enneagram bridged that gap for me. So I think it kind of takes the personality stuff and takes it into a spiritual formation language. So I'm a one on the Enneagram. There are nine different types. I'm a one. You know what a one is? A one is a perfectionist. Do you know what a one lives with? A one lives with this haunting rodent in the heart that just every day it says this over and over, you're not good enough, that wasn't, that wasn't you, weren't, you weren't enough for any of it, could have been better. You go to bed every night thinking it was never enough. Isn't that a wonderful thing to live with? So you just live with this as a one. So perfectionist, perfectionist ones deal with being, you can be real uh, quick to condemn, self-righteous, judgmental, you can be really driven. So one of the things I've really struggled with, very early on I can remember this, like drivenness has been a big deal for me. So ones typically signature sin of drivenness is a big deal for ones. So I can remember when I was working at Eli Lilly, so I was 22, 23 years old, graduated from Iowa State, went to work for Lilly, marketing systems analyst. And so ones, when ones are thrust into large projects and large project teams, and when they're big deadlines, you know what ones do? Ones just decide they're gonna work harder and longer than anyone else. So when the project looks impossible to complete, it's the one who's gonna sleep in his cubicle And I started do. I was 22 years old. I was sleeping in my cubicle at Lilly about once a quarter. Where do you think that's going? And it was all by this kind of this signature sin of of a a one perfectionist thing. It was a mess because there was a deliverable and it was going to be installed that night. And you know I might not be the smartest guy on the team, but I'm going to make sure and outwork everyone else. And so I'm sleeping on the office floor and I'm making sure things are handled through the night. Well, then I became a pastor. So projects at Eli Lilly in marketing systems had a start date and an end date. They had a deliverable. Like when the software installation for the sales reps was to be complete on October 1, do you know what we got to do at the end of October 1? We got to celebrate the completion of that element of the project. And then I went into pastoral ministry, oh boy picture how the Lord put me in. So I was thrust from, you know, projects that had start and end date to now the project of people development, which has plenty of start dates. I have yet to find an appropriate end date on any of them, including me. Are you kidding me? So you picture, okay, Sim, Simpson's carrying in this. This is like a Jebusite level. This is bigger and stronger than me. Like drivenness has got to get, it's got to get taken out of Simpson. You know how God's chosen to do it? Little by little. Across 26 years, little by little. How? He did things like this. He, he sent a mentor into my life early on when I was transitioning from Lily. You get to hear from him in November. He'll be here speaking named Sundar Christian. He sent Sundar Christian into my life. And Sundar sat with me, and he knew a little bit about some of the drivenness story. He could quickly diagnose my oneness, the dysfunction of my oneness. And he said, hey, Eric, I'm concerned. You maybe got 10, maybe 15 years in pastoral ministry. You're you're not going to make it. So he began to help me understand Sabbath. Never even knew what Sabbath was, really. It was my day off. God knows nothing of day off. He knows of Sabbath. So he started working with me on Sabbath. And then the Lord placed an amazing woman in my life, Kendra, who's a nine? Do you know what nines are in the Enneagram? Nines love to chip away at ones. (laughs) Nines are an assault on ones. It's a wonderful gift. She's a peacemaker. She loves to talk about how nines sit at the top of the Enneagram. It's like in the circle. Nines sit at the top and they call them the king or queen of the Enneagram. Oh, she loves that. Because they love to have like all the other numbers working peacefully together. God often has a one be married to a nine. So those of you who quickly start taking this test and figuring out, and if you go on a one, there's a pretty good chance. Don't be surprised if your spouse has at least got a strong nine in her somewhere. So Kendra's an amazing gift to my oneness. She's taught me so much about the beauty of the sacrament of the present moment. Nines are amazing with that. And then God's, little by little, taught me about my limits. I'm learning to live within my limits as a person. Do you know we're limited beings, humans are limits? From the very beginning, by the way, Genesis 1 and 2, limits. And you know what happens when we violate the limits? Illness becomes our Sabbath. That's what happens. So how many times I was laying in bed after I worked too hard, too long, too fast. My body's breaking down. I'm laying there complaining, moaning to God about this and that. And so I like, yeah, I'm going to teach you. Hey limits you're limited you're gonna learn to embrace your limits as a person and little by little hey I'm not graduated from my drivenness but I'd say this I think the people who know me well and spend the most time with me would say I'm less driven than I was and God's chosen to do that little by little so how about you What Gergeshite, Hittite, Jebusite, 500-pound lion, larger and stronger than you, are you staring at right now? Or maybe a whole pride of them. And could it be that God's been hearing your cries for help and saying, you know what? I'm going to work with you in that, and I'm going to do it gradual. I'm going to do it slow. I'm going to do it step by step. I'm going to do it little by little, week by week, month by month, year by year. And in that, I'm going to work on who you're becoming while you occupy that land I've promised you would occupy. Because believe you me, God's going to get the last word on every single one of our lions. He will. It's most likely not going to be in the time frame we prefer. But he will get the last word. He did with the Israelites. I guarantee you, no one, when they were on the banks of the Red Sea, no one was thinking, hey, guess what? We get to put a celebration service together, like a homecoming service for our our homeland occupation. Guess what? We get to do that. They're like, yeah, we can't wait, like 40 years from now. Can you picture that? They'd be like, What? Like 40 years from now, we get to pull the celebration together and strike up the band and send out the choir. We're going to be home in 40 years. Yep, little by little. And then when they got there, the Israelites were representing God's heart, God's character, God's ways, God's name, and God's fame to all those otherites. And that was the point, that they would look at the Israelites and say, that's what God's like. And that's what it's like to live everyday life with him. That was the point. Guess what? That's still his point today, right? Then when people get around us, it won't be so much about whatever the name of our 500-pound line. Every single one of us is going through some great battle. The point is, who are we becoming while we're in that battle? And at the end of the day, would they point at that and say, hey, that's what it like. that's what it's like to live everyday life with Jesus right there, staring down a pack of 500-pound lions. So worship team, why don't you come on up? Here's what we're going to do to kind of wrap up a little bit of this mini-series through the summer. I know many of you haven't been able to come every week, but stay connected with us online and keep up with some of these summer messages this way. And I want to kind of draw this little three-week series to a close by giving you an opportunity to respond been some good prayer times with some of you. Some of you have written very transparently on your prayer cards. That's been great. We're glad to pray for you that way. But maybe this morning, maybe this morning, you want to come forward and you want to kneel and you want to pray just as a a statement of surrender in the little by little process you find yourself in. Maybe by you coming forward this morning, you're just saying, you know what, God? Here's what I know. I know you're hearing my cry for help. I know I've been wrestling with why it's been so slow and gradual, but here's what I'm doing this morning. I'm gonna lay it down, and I'm gonna surrender, and I'm gonna trust that though though, those circumstances are stronger and larger than me, there is a great and an awesome God that we serve, and you will get the last word. And I trust you. And though you may come through swiftly, oftentimes you have the wisdom to come through gradually. And So maybe you want to come forward during the song. Just kind of have a moment, just you and the Lord, just to lay some things down, open that stuff up. And then at the end of this song, I'm going to come up and just kind of lead through a prayer time. So let's stand together. So Psalm 136, here's what the psalmist says, which by the way, the people of God are always writing these kinds of languages. And after this morning's message, it gives you context for why you hear lines like this when it says, but you swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. To him who led his people through, Through the desert, his love endures forever. So verse 15 says, hey, God, you did it decisively and swiftly one moment. And verse 16 says, but then you decided to do it slowly and gradually for 40 years in five deserts the next. And in both lines, he says, his love endures forever. So may the God of all of the 500-pound lions you're staring at, the lion of the tribe of Judah, may he send forth the power of his spirit in your life to send you out of here with a perspective to be a people of the little by little, to worship in the gradual and then to worship when it's swift and decisive. Go in his name, amen.